Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you all to the Daily Energy Markets podcast. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by Omar Najia, Global Head of Derivatives at BB Energy, Peter Maguire, CEO of XM Australia, and Jamie Ingram, Senior Editor uh, at Mies. Great. Good morning to you gentlemen again. Happy Monday. We're nearly finished with November. Um, let's start with Jamie, please. We have a few bulletin headlines there today, Jamie. And of course, you know, one or two of them are centering around OPEC, having delayed its meeting last week. Um, they still have to meet. They still have to agree on something uh, in the next few days. So what do you what do you think? What would you say they're going to focus on uh, in terms of clarifying their path forward? Are they going to be addressing this quota issue for African countries or just sort of saying, OK, we'll let you know next month what we're planning for the first quarter? Thanks, Diala. Yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, there was you know a lot of rumors flying around last week. Um, a lot of uh, mystery going on ahead of the the planned talks um, on Sunday, quite frankly. And so it was clear that something was going on. And when this postponement came out, yes, it was a surprise, but also yeah, it was clear that there were talks going on that hadn't been progressing as as hoped by delegates. Um, as you rightly point out, um, from our discussions with people involved in the talks this issue of quote new quotas for the african contingent has been front and center of of the delays um essentially you know they signed up in june for adjustments to the quotas um, a lot of the african countries um were provisionally handed out um significantly reduced quotas now the thing is that it's it's one thing to sign up to this and agree on your quotas being cut it's an entirely different matter to then get around to implementing that six months later. Um, so these countries like sort of Nigeria and Angola, um, you know, these independent assessments came through saying your quota has been going to be cut by X amount. And they turned around and went, mm, I think this is not quite accurate. I think that actually we are in, able to produce more than you're saying we can. And so our quota shouldn't be cut as much. Um, so now this brings us to the current situation where the meeting's been postponed from, from yesterday until Thursday. Um, talks have been going on ever since um, the initial postponement um, all the way through the weekend. And I would say that it's more than likely that they will, OPEC Plus will manage to seal the deal on um on what, whatever adjustments they come through um, in time for Thursday, um, you know they've given themselves enough, more than enough time to to manage this. And some of the guys running the show are very persistent. Um, so I think that we'll, you know Nigeria and Angola will essentially take what they are given to some extent. Um, there's also the issue of compliance. You know this is this is an issue that often goes under the radar when oil prices are motoring along quite nicely. Um, so going into this meeting up until a few weeks ago, everybody thought absolutely fine. No, nobody's going to care too much mm -hmm. about compliance. Then oil prices dropped. Suddenly that comes sharply into focus. Um, and on top of that, suddenly you had the, some news reports floated about deep cuts of you know maybe up to a million barrels a day. That took a lot of delegates by surprise. Um, so suddenly it wasn't just the, the, the Africa quota cuts. There was quite a few issues going on. OPEC kind of left themselves with a little bit too much to do um, for the original deadline. Yeah, um, okay. Just... Well, I'll come back. I'll come okay. back to you on that compliance issue uh, regarding, you know, the, the the big producers who obviously want to increase their quotas, not just be hold on to the quotas that they've been given, like the African countries. Um, Omar, let's let's go to you for that. I mean, you've you've been saying that you're, you know, medium long term bullish for oil into next year once we perhaps hit new lows. I had someone on the show last week who said that they expect oil to drop as low as sixty four before we kind of 
stay there or turn around. Do you think we could go as low as that? And what difference would it make what OPEC does, do you think, then? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think basically, I mean, if you want to look at this market, uh, technically, either we, if we set the new low below on, on WTI below 72.16, um, and, um, you know, very possible, I think that you say that minimum conditions have been met to the downside. Now, whatever that number is, it could be 68. Can it be 64? Yes, it can be 64. Uh, but, but, but the big issue is that I think that this is a counter trend move and the larger trend basically is to the upside. So if, if you took out 63 something, I think it was 63.20 from where the entire rally originated, then, then of course, you know, uh, you turn bearish. Uh, so, you know, if you ask me, I think 64 is too low, 68 maybe, maybe 72, whatever. But but the direct, the, the, the risk basically to oil prices is to the upside, not to the downside. Even if you look at exogenous markets, you know, markets are basically, or eco whatever you want to call it, economies, markets, blah, 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 are inflationary and not deflationary. So I have a hard time kind of thinking that, uh, you know, oil is a, is a sell here long term. Okay, thanks, Omar. Peter, I mean, on that point of, of risk on for oil, oil is cheap at the moment compared to other commodities, other goods, et cetera, that argument, uh, inflation. Um, but what about, you know, sort of evidence from China go, as we go forward into 2024? Does that matter anymore? Oil is cheap today, so it's the only way up, is what I'm asking you, regardless of what we see happening in two or three of the biggest consumers in the world, US, OECD or China? Yeah, sure, Diallo. I mean, you know, greetings from Sydney. It's wiped out 50 cents since this morning. So that's given us some indication. Also, you've had a weakening US dollar. So they're really in yeah. tandem as the US dollar has been sucked down. So is oil. So it's a double whammy. And that needs to be all, you know, if you're getting paid in US dollars, then that's not a good sign. Uh, also, you've been mindful. Gold's really had a nice uptick. It's now at 2030 bucks. So, uh, you know, there's uh, there's another mindset there as well. As far as how we look next year, well, we all understand Chinese exports. They were well down. We're looking at global exports are very weak. You look at German PMIs. You, there's no growth anywhere that's really outstanding, Diala. I, I don't see any. So that's a real, um, I think, mindset that we're going to wrap our heads around as far as 24 and consumption. And if it's if it's as bad as what it's, well, turning into, or I'm not saying manifesting, but if it's turning into, a, it's going to be a tough 24, then let's just see, you know, where the oil market goes. It needs to, I think, obviously, they're going to see big cuts from OPEC, maybe not this week, but you will over the next matter of months. They want their price higher. And I think there's going to be a little argy-bargy between all players. Okay, thanks, Peter. Jamie, I mean, back to OPEC and, and the argy-bargy, as Peter just said. I mean, you know, obviously, Saudi's been taking the brunt uh, of, of, of voluntary cuts uh, in the last few months. Um, those are going to continue into the first quarter as they are by all sort of expectations. But there has been, as you were saying, you know, talks on compliance um, uh, going forward. Is Saudi going to accept cutting again uh, alone or or is it and can it really get rope in you know players like the uae and kuwait to start to do that uh, and does opec should opec be cutting more i mean is it kind of it's it's putting itself into a bit of a corner isn't it if it keeps doing that and, and fighting against the reality of what's happening externally 
Yeah, the, da the danger, of course, is if you keep on cutting and, you know, we are expecting relatively robust non-OPEC production next year. So the risk is that you keep cutting, more production comes online, prices stabilize at the same level as before you cut um, and you just end up on this constant market share drain. Um, I think that looking ahead into, Q into Q1, as you say, um, a continuation of the Saudi cuts, I think that has to be the, the base case scenario, really, you know, w without that prices sink. Um, so then, you know, we're going into a relatively low demand season. Uh, stocks haven't necessarily drained in the way that Saudi Arabia was hoping that they would after they uh, introduced what was, let's, let's remember, this was meant to be a one month cut at first, uh, this voluntary 1 million barrels a day. Nobody expected it to be quite that short, but I don't think many people mm. expected it to extend out until the end of 2023 and most likely beyond when it was initially put into force. Um, so yeah, Saudi Arabia will definitely be looking to to bring other people back into into this um you know it's not just there is the issue of compliance there's also the issue of strong um iranian production growth over the last six months um we've probably kind of maxed out um that growth largely you know there's a bit more to come from iran potentially um but not to the same extent as we've seen in recent months especially obviously if the us actually gets its act together and starts um implementing its sanctions with a bit more teeth again um, something they've do been think, relatively do you think Iran to do. Would expect, as Iran continues to increase its production, I mean, it's, it's, it's little increments, but yeah, you know, they have been quite vocal in that. You know, by March, we're going to reach X, you know, we're going to add another 300,000, whatever. Um, is, there will be no discussion of trying to even get it to join any cuts or any any quota, right? I mean, they're going to have the argument that we've been left out for too long. Uh, you know, don't even think about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, you you clearly know the argument well there. Um, th there's no point in trying to bring the Iranians in. Uh, it would just massively co complicate the issue and for fairly minimal gains, I would say. But yeah, looking ahead to Q1, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some additional cuts from other players. Um, obviously, very time, very much time bound. I suspect Q1 would be when the, those would be meant to expire um, when once demand starts to come out of the doldrums a little bit. Um, but frankly, the danger for these players will be that once you put these cuts in motion, suddenly you get locked into them and the pressure in three months' time will be to extend again. So, Okay, thanks, Jamie. Omar, let's talk a bit about products and any support they're expected to get. We've obviously had jet recovering in the summer, more jet recovery expected supposedly out of China. Uh, but then we have these headlines about Germany's manufacturing, energy costs are too much, manufacturing is going to dwindle, diesel impact, etc. So wh where do you see that first of Europe and Asia, if you like, in terms of product cracks uh, and where the direction is heading? Yeah, no. So basically, I wouldn't buy cracks now. Um, I think basically they need to fall a little bit. They've been holding up quite well on distillates. Uh, so you're talking calendar... Uh, 24s trading, okay, something around $25, something like that. So I think it has to fall uh, a bit more to be kind of uh, interesting. There's no reason. The, the market right now is in uh, kind of no man's land. Can it go up? Yes. Can it go down? Yes. Uh, is there a trend long term? Then mm, no. Uh, so I wouldn't be looking to, uh, I, I wouldn't be looking to be on, on the buy side or the sell side. I think, you know, we're coming, let's see what happens in November. And then we have, you know, this OPEC meeting, et cetera. But, but if you put a gun to my head, $25 calendar, 24, I'd sell it, not buy it. Um, and if this market falls, I think basically this market needs to go down enough uh, to become a no-brainer. So if we get to $70, let's say, 
if we get to, you know, 21 or something like that on the calendar 25 cracks, then yeah, those are all interesting. As to the news about what's happening in China, nobody knows. And, you know, I, I, I don't like trading on the back of, you know, uh, you know, reports about what's going to happen or not going to happen in Germany. Germany and the whole of the EU in terms of manufacturing base is collapsing and it's collapsing because they've turned away from uh, Russian gas. It's that simple. So I don't think it has anything to do with, uh, you know, they want to pay extra for US LNG and that's going to make them uncompetitive long term. Does that mean that it goes to zero now? No. Does it mean that it goes to zero over time? Yes. Does it mean that basically it's going to impact, you know, demand for diesel and all the rest of it? No, because, you know, the East will rise and the West will, or Europe will uh, go down the toilet. So I don't think it matters really. Okay, thanks, Omar. Peter, I mean, talking about gas and, and China, sticking with China, we have a, one of the headlines this morning about China gas demand uh, is going yep. to be increasing and especially taking its raw gas from Gazprom. Um, is that a positive sign or is that just regular cyclical seasonal uh, demand? What what should we look into that? How should I, we I think that? it's both. I, I think it's both, um, Diala. I think it's cyclical, naturally. And I think that you've just got that, uh, I, I suppose, the inbound or the the um, the domestic consumption seems to be fairly strong that the economy is bubbling along they're all they're conscious as far as how it's looking from an export model but internal demand you've got 1.4 million people you're running into winter it's as cold as charity over there at the moment and it's going to get, to get colder over the next two to three months so um, you you need heating you need demand you need to keep the place warm and there's the first part of it as far as consumption i think it will be relatively strong and we all understand uh, you know it's been very strategic buying from china as far as the likes of iron ore many of their commodities are at nearly record um, uh, import levels so you know i don't buy the story that things are that tragically bad over there it's it's pretty damn good actually when you're looking at the big picture they need food they need fuel and they certainly need base metals and they need plenty of energy okay all right i'll come back to you about china again but just to keep you peter with it, you mentioned the us dollar earlier uh that's yeah. weakening it's a little bit um is that you know purely to do with the fact that now or is it because uh, you know, people have accepted that rates are stabilizing, interest rates in the U.S., and so you know that's it. That's the new direction we're going in. Uh, and if anything, it's it's down with rates next year. So is the dollar picking up on that, or are there other factors that are? Uh, oh, I think there's other. Yeah. I think there are other factors as well. I I think it was probably cooked to the upside. Um, you know, had very soft uh, uh, euro and pound. Uh, yen, yen was very much range bound. I mean, it was hovering around that 150, 151. It's back at one high 148s at the moment. But the US dollar was cooked to the upside. It was very strong. The divergence between, you know, from rate policy uh, is the euro. I mean, we understand how the Fed came out of the blocks very quickly with rates. Uh, Eurozone was a little bit slower off the mark. And certainly the POMs, they didn't back down either. But now you're seeing both of those currencies uh, strengthening a, a little bit further yeah. against the US dollar and, of course, commodity currencies like our own. We're up 3.8% in the last week and a half, and so is the Kiwi. So, you know, I think everyone's been selling US dollars, Diala, and that's where, you, you know, have a close look. That's why I mentioned gold. Gold's at 2,033. It was 
I'll have to look at the charts, but it's probably only three weeks ago. It's put on a hundred bucks. So it's had a really nice rally and that's, you know, um, US dollar crushed and gold up. And uh, that's been another key driver as far as markets. Okay. Thanks, Peter. Jamie, let's talk a bit about um, the the security situation in, in the Gulf. I mean, in terms of, you know, not to get too, too far into it, but I mean, any, you know, have a headline tanker in the Middle East safe after US Navy respond. We had a couple of incidents last week of, of, of one or two tankers being, um, let's say, uh, interrupted in their flow um, by, by the Houthis. Um, is that causing any any real concern going forward in terms of what, what more of that is just a headache? I mean, how much do you think that's impacting market sentiment? I'd say both things that you said there are absolutely true. It is causing concern, but it's more more on the headache level of concern that we're talking about here. You know, I think, you know, the issue, the likelihood that there will be widespread um, impact on tanker float on tanker flows is relatively limited. Um, but yeah, clearly the Houthis are a potential problem um, around the Bab el-Mandeb, you know, around the Yemeni coast. Um, a lot of tanker traffic goes up through, um, through that choke point up into the Gulf, up into the Suez Canal, um, and then primarily onto to Europe, also some of it heading over to the US. Um, we've previously, not so far really to this level, but um, at the, in this current situation, sorry, um, but we've previously seen disruption to, to tankers, you know, some attacks um, around Fajera, around the, um, you know, the, the Straits of Hormuz there. So that's that would be the next escalation that people are worried about. Um, but it but it would just be the, the odd um, attack on tankers. And if we get into that situation, we'll certainly see a lot more force projection from the likes of the US um, within the within the Gulf. I would say they've shown willingness to do that beforehand. Um, maybe a little bit more tricky around Yemen, but frankly, I think a lot of pressure will come to bear on the Houthis if they do step up um, incidents against tankers. There, there is obviously alternative routes that can be be taken as well. It takes a very very you know, a lot longer causes a lot more friction to global trade flows, a lot more cost for the the end consumer who will have to pay for this at the end of the day. But you know, skip the uh, Suez Canal and go around Africa into into Europe instead. Um, so there are alternatives, but nobody wants to see us get to that situation. Okay, Omar, um, just to go back to prices, um, I know are, are we seeing now a geopolitical risk? discount firmly in place, do you think? I mean, have we kind of like the pre, we've lost the premium, we're flat. And now if anything, you know, headlines are, are being negative uh, to, to, you know, in terms of what we're seeing from the geopolitical risk uh, situation, whether it's maritime security, whether it's, you know, an escalation possibly of this whole conflict. Where Where's the market sentiment out there? You're on mute, Omar. Yeah, I, yeah, I think... Uh... I think there is no geopolitical risk premium in the price. I don't think there's, uh, you know, oil in terms of, uh, you know, Israel, Palestine or Lebanon or Syria. So no risk premium, basically, or Yemen. Uh, so, the, 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 you know, the, I think there are wider uh, kind of issues. I don't think that this market is going to, I think this market is going to trade with other markets. Okay, so you've seen the dollar come under pressure. I think that pressure is going to be sustained. I think basically we've seen lows on 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 GBP and the euro at uh, 103, 95, 97, something like that. And I think you're going to see basically new all-time highs on both the euro and the GBP over time against the US dollar. So 
you know, the, the U.S. has massive issues with its fiscal position. It has absolutely massive debt. It has massive debt, uh, interest rate, uh, um, um, you know, costs to bear. Uh, its deficits is uh, is ballooning. It's going to be two trillion this year, and probably even higher if not, you know, the same next year. It's unsustainable. So the dollar is going to come under a lot of pressure. That's a basic support for, um, you know, commodities that trade in the U.S. dollar because you know other other currencies are going to be, uh, you know, worth more against it. Um, so again, I'm I'm not too, you know, if if you see a ramping up of uh, if basically other players get involved, if if Iran gets involved in the war or the U.S. hits Iran or whatever, then, yeah, you'll see oil prices spike. But the, the way it is now, I don't think you'll see that. I think you'll see, um, you know, I think you need to see a more kind of an economic um, kind of thing uh, come to bear. Okay. Thanks, Omar. There's our survey question today, which is uh, on demand. Weak OECD and China demand expectations will outweigh any additional OPEC plus cuts in 2024, if we get any additional ones on top of the ones that we're seeing. So is the demand scenario now really beginning uh, uh, to kick in? Yes or no, uh, agree or disagree? I mean, Peter, sort of on that point partly, but on the point that Amar just made about he, you know, dollar is now has reached its peak. Um, yeah. You know, would you, would you agree with that? I mean, obviously it's, it's an FX thing, but I mean, would you agree yeah. that the, the economic situation and the debt and, and deficit situation in the U.S. is finally going to start hitting home next year. And, and, and obviously, you would think so. Mm. Well, absolutely. I mean, you'd have to say it's very hard to put an argument or a counter argument against um, uh, Omar's thoughts because or Omar's argument is quite simply because it's true. And when you're looking at the But it's been true size, for many years. So I mean, oh, it has been know. true for many years, but we've also had now we've had very cheap interest rates. We've also pumped in trillions of dollars over COVID, and you've now ratcheted rates up to 5%. So there's the other side of it, and that's where it's going to cost you so much more to service that debt. So bondholders and all of those uh, impacts. How does the US get out? Well, it's got relatively strong GDP at the moment, but are things going to you know see a big change in 24? Um, you know, I've just got some notes here. Third quarter GDP estimate for the US is going to run around about 5% annualized, up from 49 so we've got those figures being released this week. We've got other um, core inflation data being released this week. And with energy prices at these sort of levels, it's a it's a it's not a headwind, it's a very good sign for central bankers because they want naturally they want um, oil to be at 60 bucks a barrel, not impacting inflation decisions uh, or inflation rates. And no one wants to see you know, the continuation as far as rate policy going up. So if we were sitting here, Diala, and oil was 110 or 120, I tell you what, it'd be a totally different world of what, you know, from yeah. a rate policy standpoint and inflation. So there are many different moving parts to this. I'll just go back to when when oil, I'm, I'm just having a look here, it was at around about $1,830. It's put on $200 in just over oh, a month and a half. Gold. Less than two months. Gold. Yeah. Oh, pardon me. Gold. Sorry. Gold. Yeah. Two hundred bucks in less than two months. So oh, it's really yeah. ratcheted, ratcheted heavily. Yeah, and and I mean, 
you know, one could argue that obviously the rate policy of the last year uh, or, or more has, you know, has also brought those, I mean, it has impacted oil prices, hasn't it? It is actually impacting demand, it's impacting, yes. uh, you know, dollar denominated debt uh, and demand in those countries as well. So that's kind of all, all, all coming together there. Jamie, just back to you on that uh, and talking about sort of economies, let's talk about the Gulf a little bit. Um, again, we had some comments last week on whether, you know, these prices are beginning, beginning to become a concern now for countries like Saudi Arabia who have huge, um, you know, expenditures in terms of their economic plans, uh, et cetera. And, and, and I know Saudi taking out loans, even, I mean, it's playing around with its, its money markets a bit to that extent. It's not running out of money yet, but do you think it's a concern? I mean, how how much at risk are those projects and will Saudi possibly slow them down if, if this scenario continues? Hey, Jale. Yeah, um, the thing I would say with Saudi Arabia is that it still has very low debt levels. Um, so in terms of financing these projects, it doesn't need to just take it straight from oil revenues. They can hit the capital markets with relative ease and there is a lot of people that are willing to, to lend to them. Obviously, high interest rates at the moment mean that that um, is a more expensive issue than it was when they started a lot of these, these projects. Um, but yeah, they, they're definitely capable of fulfilling them at the moment. They're not they're not too concerned on that front. Um, but as you say, there if we get if we enter a period of prolonged kind of a lower for longer um, price period, um, that then Riyadh has to start changing its calculus a little bit, um, and that's when yeah we won't see these con cancellations, but you might start start seeing. Um, projects being delayed, um, you know, starting to look around a lot longer to find cheaper tenders, just pushing out the whole time frame horizon for a lot of these um, projects that they've got on the board. Um, but yeah, for, for now, I'd say alarm bells aren't ringing so much in Riyadh. Um, and in, you know, in the UAE, the issue is is always not so much on the price itself. It's on this massive amount of spare capacity that they're sitting on because um, they've been subject to cuts for so long and they've been investing hugely in expanding their production mm. capacity. So very different kind of um, dynamics and views over um, that kind of price versus market share issue that you got in kind of the two main Gulf drivers of uh, of OPEC policy and of, uh, you know, Gulf energy markets in general. And I mean, are OPEC, do you sense that OPEC are, should get concerned again about non-OPEC supply, which has kind of been on the up and, and increasingly so, that includes US production, which had kind of tempered for a while. Um, any concerns there by OPEC? Ah, uh, well, clearly, if, if you listen to OPEC ministers, their, their number one concern is always lack of investment in the industry. So they should be very happy that uh, there's all this non-OPEC growth going in because it, it, you know, it seems to be that that's what they've been calling for. Um, but yeah, I'd say it's not so much the issue of non-OPEC growth per se. It's the fact that it's combined with very uh, muted um, expectations for global demand. Um, if, you know, if we had strong non-OPEC growth, but demand was you know, outstripping it by a few hundred thousand barrels a day, that's no problem. Um, it's the fact that we're more likely in a situation where non-OPEC growth is going to outstrip um, demand in 2024, if you listen to anybody other than the OPEC Secretariat's own report, um, which is kind of an outlier when it's um, on its projections for 2024 yeah. global oil demand. And how much is Russia complying with what it's meant to be doing, uh, you know, in the last couple of months? It's definitely slipped. Um, so that's going to be an issue, not just with Riyadh looking to push um, Russia into higher compliance, but it makes it more difficult when you're trying to corral other producers into either improving their own compliance or more notably trying to deepen cuts um, because everybody would, would just be pointing at Russia and saying, well, hang on, why should we make this sacrifice when Russia's freeloading on everybody?
Okay, there's our survey result, which is a bit dodgy, 50%, 50-50. Uh, that doesn't really tell us much. Uh, that's sometimes technical. It tells you a lot, actually. Yeah? Well, yeah. What what tells you that everyone's confused? What, what does it tell you? Well, it tells you that that there's no decisive viewpoint. That's what it tells you, and, and, and everyone has an opinion, and yeah. it tells me that from the marketplace, that proves that there are just as many buyers as sellers or sellers yeah. as buyers as far as whether they're bullish or bearish. That that tells me a lot. So the that's, market's that's, going to, the, the dynamics to drive the market. Yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to run that across X and uh, put a poll out there for 24 hours and just see how many people vote and, uh, yeah. Peter, is there any sense from your point of view, I mean, not you're not directly in that space of OPEC and, and, and what the countries are thinking, but do you think there will be an issue on this compliance with the large producers yeah. like Kuwait, UAE, I mean, Jamie just mentioned again, they're all increasing capacity and they do not want to be holding that um, back. How difficult is that going to make uh, decisions? Well, I, I think the, the greatest challenge, one of the greatest challenges building on what Jamie said, as far as um, as far as OPEC has always been concerned, and that is compliance, Diala. And so everyone has a weakened balance sheet. Everyone wants to get back to every single country, every member wants to see a strong balance sheet. They want to see strong earnings. And the weight around that is to, you know, uh, pump till there's no more left and get as high a price as possible. And that normally was the you know, their mantra. And it's going to be interesting to see how that all, uh, I suppose, materializes over the next month or two. And whether you go to see compliance angles or you go to see, uh, you know, members do their normal way of doing business, this is all going to, we're going to see a, a lot of interesting <laughs> points into the market over the next six to eight weeks as it digests this decision on the 30th of November and then how it's implemented. And then the next part is execution. Okay, thanks, Peter. One, just we've run out of time, but Omar, very quickly, are you still as bullish on on equities as you have been for next year in terms of, you know, I'm bullish. I'm bullish everything. I'm bullish equities. I'm bullish Bitcoin. I'm bullish oil. I'm bullish gold, silver, platinum, GBP, euro. Yes, and all for the same reason. I mean, I just love the fact that you know people don't um, um, miss the kind of you know simple stuff, and they keep looking at like, what's this doing? And oh. No, they're selling in China and, you know, Europe is a, yeah, but I mean, the, the overall kind of thing is the world is inflationary, not deflationary. The US dollar is weak and you can see it. You can see it in Bitcoin. Risk premium is there. If you're holding cash, what are you going to do, right? You can't invest in bonds because, you know, that's, that's a very dangerous thing to do. Issuance is massive. Debt is massive. So the only way that the US can do anything is by inflating everything. So, they, they, you know, and people look at that, they, they, they say like, you know, inflation's at 3%. Yeah, the inflation last year was 10. So that's 10. And then on that inflation, you still got another three. So basically yeah. at the end of the day, what, what, what you've got to do is you've got to buy stuff that is unrelated to the US dollar. Um, uh, I think the US dollar has had its run. It's done it for 12 years and it's time for the other stuff to come to the fore. So yes, bullish everything. I think the S&P, looking for like uh, 5,900, something like that over time. I think, you know, the, uh, you know, you have the election. I've never known an election that's anything except inflationary. 
I've never known a war that's anything but inflationary. Yeah. Nobody's going to be cutting anything. Everybody's going to be spending, spending. Look at Germany. They decided last week, no more basically curtailing their spending. And they passed a new law to take out the old law that they have to stay within budget and all this kind of stuff. Nobody's going to do it because it's painful. And, you know, in Europe, basically, you've seen the rise of the right and because people are pissed off. So when people are pissed off, you don't come and tell them, you know, you're going to cut services and all that. You're going to tell them you're going to spend more. So, yeah, yeah. bullish S&P, bullish oil, bullish gold, silver, platinum, oil, all of it. Okay, yeah, let's get those checkbooks out <laughs> Thanks very much to Omar, Peter uh, and Jamie for joining us this morning. Great. Have a good week ahead, everyone.